Welcome everyone to the most accurate podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brandon Niles. With me are my excellent co-hosts, Jen Akins and Chris Allen. Chris, how's it going, buddy? I'm doing great. I'm really excited for Thursday night. I mean, we've got the draft. I mean, we've got, I mean, all this content and just the waiting that we've been doing over the last few months, kind of leading up to this point. So excited to see the draft, excited to talk ball with y'all and Shane as well. So I'm excited to get into it. Jen, how you doing though? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I can see your lovely face today. No, no hidden graphics and things like that. So that's <laughs> yes, wonderful. Not yet, at least. Yeah. Not we'll yet. No, I'm I'm doing great. I mean, as you guys know, I'm not I'm not a huge draft fan. I'm not the you know the person that that geeks out over it uh, as much as other people do. However, I am uh, I'm into it. I'm excited. Um, and you know we have a special guest, Shane. So how are you, Shane? I'm doing good. I mean, th- this is this is Christmas week for me, so I'm you know I'm up at all hours and tweaking the mock draft and uh, you know d- doing all that. So I, I can't wait. I'm jumping out of my skin here. Excellent. Well, I'm psyched to have you on, Shane. Uh, one of my favorite draft analysts out there. Absolutely worth a follow at Shane P Hallam H A L L A M on Twitter, as you see on your screen. Uh, you can find his work on draft draft countdown. Listen to his podcast, The Devi Marketplace, which is great for Devi leagues uh, and really just any fantasy content in general is worth listening. Uh, Go follow him, especially after the draft. Shane, you're my favorite person after the draft because uh, you keep me updated on all the undrafted free agents and you speak about them with actual knowledge. Like, I'm confident you actually watched film on these guys, whereas some of the other uh, sites out there just kind of forget about those deep-seated players who uh, will actually make an impact. Some of these guys make an impact, make a roster. We've seen it a couple years in a row now. Uh Before we get into wide receivers and tight end prospects, that's what I want to do with our two-part draft series. Last week, we talked with uh, Anthony Staggs about running backs and quarterbacks. Shane, uh, before I get into that, I want to talk about your mock, uh, and I want to talk about your process for profiling literally a 1,000 prospects because it seems daunting to me, and you do a seven-round mock, and I just want to talk to you about your process. It's been a year, let me tell you. This year especially, it's the largest draft class in NFL draft history because of the COVID years and players could go back to school. Last year was the smallest. This is the largest. So it's the most uh, that I've seen in Road Up. It's uh, I got the 1,051 is my final number. I, I, I as a couple kickers, I, I kind of want to watch, but I think I'm, I, I, you know, <laughs> yeah. but, but I hit like double digits of kickers. I was like, I think I'm good. Um, so, it, you know, it, it's, uh, it's just about, you know, watching a little bit, making assessments quickly on a lot of these players. Are they NFL material? Are they not? And kind of moving on. Um, sometimes the, the biggest part is like finding the film on some of these small schools and trying to, you know, okay, can I do enough from highlight film or what's on YouTube? And, um, you know, I think for me, it, it's just about it always evolving and changing. I go back to players again and again. We get workout numbers. We get new information. Someone's moving up this person's board that I trust. I I didn't have them on my board. Or I had them really low. Like, let me go back and watch again. I think, you know, I kind of approach it as I, I am not, nothing's ever finalized until we get there. You know, I'm always tweaking and changing. And I think some people want to say, you know, I had this take in January or November and, you know, I did too, but like, I probably, I was wrong a lot back then, you know, let's keep evolving. What matters is the finish line, not how you get there to me. And that's always what I want to do is just, you know, I always say I'm not, I'm not the the smartest football guy. I, you know, I don't, I didn't play the game, uh, but, but I can outwork anyone. I can watch more of these players and that that's really where I come in and that's my goal. 
just grinding, just grinding. I love it. Uh, how do you keep yourself from getting distracted while you're watching? Because I, I know I find myself like I'll be watching Carson Strong tape, right? And then I'll be like, ooh, that tight end looks really good. And then I'll watch that tape. And then I'll be like, oh, man, that safety just made a play. And so I'll start watching another team's safety. And before long, I forget who I was originally looking at. How do you keep yourself focused? It's funny you say that because I actually, when I watch, I have, I literally have a Google Doc where I just if, if a player does that to me, then I'm like, I'm, I'm going to write down that position number <laughs> team, right? I just write it down. I'm like, I'm going to ignore them. Yeah. And now I have this big old list. And some of them are like crap players that just stood out <laughs> one play that I'll never watch. But, you know, I can go back. I can look at that. And, you know, that's uh, that's usually what I do. My, my crap player is Deontay Burnett, the, the receiver from USC. I was watching uh, Matt Barkley tape and going – Deontay Burnett, this is Deontay Burnett tape. That's what I'm watching right now. Ended up way too high on him. Um, I, I, I'll, I'll stop. I could sit here and uh, mutter about that for uh, uh, about three hours, but we don't have that time. So uh, let's get into tight ends and wide receivers. I want to get tight ends out of the way first because uh, it's just usually a shorter conversation than wide receivers, and this year it seems like it. Uh, what do you think of this class as a whole, Shane, uh, is there a Kyle Pitts like there was last year? Are there players that we're really looking at from a, a fantasy perspective? There, there's definitely not a Kyle Pitts. This is not a tight end class with that you know top tier player. Um, like a lot of positions in this draft, and like we'll talk about at receiver, you may not have that top player, but you have a lot of depth because this class is so big. There's a lot of players that are going to go day two that, you know, tight end wise, that's a pretty nice sweet spot. If you're athletic and you at least go in the second or third round, you know, you have a potential. The best tight ends in fantasy, Travis Kelsey and George Kittle, you know, these are guys that went in that direction, didn't go in the first round. So I think we have a lot of those players. Um, the, the, you know, the question just is, how much upside do they have? You know, Trey McBride from Colorado State's the number one guy. I think when he ran a four, five, six at his pro day, he kind of cemented that. That was the question. Is he athletic enough? He is. He caught a ton of passes, great body control. He doesn't separate, um, which is not great for us. You know, that usually doesn't mean a ton of volume is going to come his way. Um, but he has a shot to go in the first. I think the Titans, the Bengals, but most likely early second, the Giants are a team that comes to mind. And then I think there's a batch of about, you know, three to four tight ends on day two. Um, Greg Dulcich from UCLA is going to be picked in day two. He was in that Chip Kelly offense. So very like open space, Jason Wittenness, you know, stick kind of routes, sticks in, gets the catch, um, does a little bit after the catch, but not too much. Um, so, you know, he could be a potential weapon, but he's a little on the smaller side, not much of a blocker. Jeremy Ruckert from Ohio State is kind of the other end, not very productive in college. Ohio State doesn't use their tight ends, but he can block, good red zone threat, flash some things. I think he'll go day two. And then, uh, you know, day two, early day three player that kind of everyone's been buzzing about is Jelani Woods um, from Virginia, transferred from Oklahoma State. He's older. I think that could have caused him to drop a little bit in the draft, but 6'7", 259, literally the best workout for a tight end ever in NFL draft history at the Combine. You know, that, that's a kind of upside if he goes round three, like you, you got to take it. So, you know, I think there is some tight ends and tight end premium leagues that could provide some value in rookie drafts, but you're not going to find that player that is, you know, a gem or especially their rookie year. I think we've been spoiled a little bit. I don't think we have that guy that's going to make a big impact. 
Sure. Um, quickly before I, I want to hear Jen's thoughts on redraft approaches to tight ends in general, because it's always sobering and necessary. But before that, I want to ask you quickly about Isaiah likely from coastal Carolina. I keep hearing about him. I, I kind of like his tape a little bit. Is he a player that you like, or do you have another deep sleeper that you're kind of watching? I think Isaiah is likely his film is very, very good. And I think if his workouts had matched that film, I would be much higher on him. That's the big problem because he's not much of a blocker. Though I think he flashes it more than a lot of people have given him credit for the senior bowl. You know, he, he was there. He had a, a nice block in the game uh, that sprung Sam Howe for a rushing touchdown. But, you know, when you're 245 pounds and you run a 4.8, like the kind of the threshold's 4.75. I mean, you got to be faster than that, especially at that weight. That's the scary part. He is athletic. He's explosive. So I think he's intriguing. Um, I'll say uh, probably the deeper sleeper that I like is Daniel Bellinger from San Diego State. Okay. Blocking tight end. Um, that's all they used him with. And But he's this like great athlete that I thought at the senior bowl, I was like, whoa, this guy can catch. Like I, I was writing him off. And so I think if there's a player that maybe has that upside day three, um, I like him. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, Jen, just real quick. I, like I said, this is the tight end class, so it's, it doesn't need to be a huge discussion. We'll go deeper on receiver. Uh, Jen, your sobering uh, reminder for uh, redraft <laughs> approaches to rookie tight ends and also curious uh, how you're approaching best ball uh, with the, with the rookie tight ends this year. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know that, uh, you know, my, my take on rookie tight ends do not draft them in redraft. I mean, it's funny, even last year, People are like, oh, is there a Kyle Pitts? Kyle Pitts wasn't that great last year. I mean, he only had three weeks of double-digit production. You know, he was tight end 11, which is decent considering how bad the tight end group is. But, you know, he averaged 8.4 half PPR points a game, which and that was only really because of those three. But he had like a 22-point game, which kind of, you know, helps. But, yeah, at the end of the day, and we also have Pat Fryermuth, who was decent. He ended up tight end 16, which, you know. So I think if you're going straight up regraft, normal league, no premium, stay away from all rookies. Even McBride, I just, you know, regardless of where he lands, I just don't see, you know, it just historically they don't pan out for redraft regardless of talent, as we saw uh, with Pitts. Um, and as far as best ball, sure. I mean, if you really want to, you know – Obviously, it depends on landing spot. If if these guys like McBride and a couple of other ones that Shane mentioned end up on a really good situation, like say in Cincinnati or somewhere where they really need a tight end, then sure, throw a dart in the 16th, 17th round. But I wouldn't go out of your way to take a rookie tight end. Excellent. They always go up. Uh, that that top guy always seems to go two rounds before I want to take them. Uh, Chris, I know you play a lot more dynasty than I do. I, I'm curious how you're approaching the tight end class from a dynasty perspective. Do you have any targets, any uh, locations you're eyeing, anything of that sort? I know which one location that I'm not eyeing is this rumor that's been going around about the Bengals taking Trey McBride in the first round. <laughs> I, I don't want to sound uh, like melodramatic or anything like that, but I will be absolutely I'll be apoplectic if the Bengals wind up using the 31st overall pick on a tight end, knowing what they need on defense, knowing that they could also use another offensive lineman. If they wind up doing this, I, I will not be happy. Uh, I'll just leave it at that. Uh, but for, for dynasty purposes, Targeting tight ends is something of a crapshoot. And the easiest way that I found in terms of, I guess, trying to figure out like which ones that I want to draft is kind of letting the NFL decide for us. Draft capital in this sense is one of the easiest 
uh, ways for us to figure out like how we can value them moving forward. Because think about like kind of what like how Shane was kind of uh, marking it out earlier in that think about the the types of players that we would typically be drafting in the first rounds or the NFL is drafting in the first rounds, the athletic guys. I mean, the wide receivers, running backs, whatever. And think about what tight ends would have to do in order to be considered to be in that same round or in that same area of the draft. And so that's why guys like Kyle Pitts were valued the way that they were last year, or even going back even further guys like, I mean, David Njoku, Evan Ingram. I mean, those guys that typically had like the higher draft capital, they had to be those athletic freaks in order to get there and the league valued them as such. And so if we don't see any of that type of talent here in this class, then I think the easiest way to look at it is let's just stay away. Let's not use our first round rookie picks on those guys. Let's wait until, let's say, possibly the second round. And I think history has kind of bore that out. Like what Jen was mentioning earlier, of course, Kyle Pitts, he was drafted in the first round, wound up with at least a top 12 rank at the tight end position. And that's somewhat bore out in the numbers. I think over the past, like since the 2017 season, I think there have been six or seven tight ends that have been drafted in the first round. Two have finished as a top 12 tight end their rookie season. Do you guys want to know? Take a wild guess for day two picks. So round two, round three, how many have finished in the top 12 their rookie season? Day two, day three? Day two, just like round two or round three. Rookie season finished in the top 12. Oh, I knew this like a year ago. I had Yeah, this we had, we, like we a, had a whole ago. talk about yeah, it. Yeah, I don't think so. Zero. Yeah. Because I know, I know, like Jeremy Shockey. It was Shockey, yeah. Shockey was the only guy. Yeah, yeah. Since 2017, not a single one. Top 24, absolutely. I mean, but we really don't care about those guys anyway, right? It was like Pat Frymuth last year, Dallas Goddard, like his his first year. I mean, but really, we're not. We haven't been seeing. Yeah, Gronk. I mean, if you want to go back even further, but like we're looking at at this point, if let's see, uh, like. Dulcich, I think. Uh, I think if I went over to like grinding the mocks, like right now, I think he's like somewhere in like the maybe like the seventies or eighties, seventieth or eightieth overall, somewhere in that range. Whoo, McBride, sixties, somewhere in there. Yeah. So if we're not even like, we can't even squint to see any of these guys being drafted even close to the first round. And if at best we're talking is a, a day two pick for any of these guys, yeah, at best you're probably looking at. Let's say in one QB leagues for Dynasty, if folks happen to play in those types of formats, you're probably looking at mid to late second, somewhere in that range for uh, for draft value. And then for and that's for guys like Trey, Mc, Trey McBride or like Dulcich. I mean, guys that even if they get on the field, we can see them projecting them to get targets their rookie season. But past that, any of the other guys that we're even considering drafting at this point, they are the latest of, I mean, the latest of picks that you could possibly get with the hope for they can develop into something, you know, their second, third year, so on and so forth. Okay. So fade this in redraft, fade this in best ball, fade this in dynasty for this tight end class. I love it. I love it. And folks, if you want to go overdraft a, tie, a rookie tight end in best ball, check out underdog. We have a promo right now where if you deposit $10 into a new underdog account, get a deposit bonus match and a four for four pro subscription. Just enter four for four four F O R four in the promo code box and uh, get you some uh, fun money to play with and play some underdog. You'll probably see, all of us in those underdog lobbies ready to draft. Uh, so let's go, let's talk receivers. Shane, uh, how does this receiver class stack up to the last two? Because uh, we're coming off two really good receiver classes and where we had elite fantasy production from a rookie in uh, each of the last two seasons with Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, solid uh, talent across the board. How does this class stack up? 
I think it stacks up well. Uh, I think that you don't have that Jamar Chase, obviously. You don't have that kind of high-end receiver. But after that, I mean, I, th- I think it stacks up really, really well. I think with uh, 2020, I think it's going to be a very similar class to that, where you're going to have maybe some some guys that emerge from that first round. I think you're going to have some players from the second day emerge and have an impact. Um, you know, the key is going to be finding which ones, because once again, it's pretty deep. I think we could see upwards of, I'd say probably 12 to, I'd try to say 13 to 14 go in the first two days. Wow. Um, so, so, you know, it's a, teams are very wide receiver needy. We have plenty of teams that need one, some need two. Um, I think there's a lot of teams that we anticipate as fantasy people don't need one that probably may draft one day too. Um, I, you know, I think that's really what happens. So you kind of have to me, um, you know, I kind of have a big five that seems to have turned into a big four at the top of this draft. Oh, so it, it, it seems more and more like, you know, I think four are guaranteed to go in the first round and that's it. Um, Garrett Wilson from Ohio state's my number one, Drake London from Southern Cal, my number three, Jameson Williams from Alabama, my number four, and Chris Olave from Ohio State, my number five. I think those four are going to go in the first round. You know, fair. nothing's ever a lock in the NFL draft, but pretty as close as you can get. Um, I, I think Traylon Burks from Arkansas, who was a fantasy darling very early on and maybe still is in some circles, um, you know, the he just has not lived up to the athletic expectations that were kind of put on him. Um, he's you know, technically by the RAS score, the, the, the worst athlete uh, of the five, Drake London did not work out. He may have been there, uh, but, you know, a four, five, five, six, two, two, 25 as a big slot, you know, Burks may not go in the first round. I think he still will. And he's still, he's my number two receiver. I think he's still really, really good. I think it could end up being a value. So I think that's what you're looking at. Now, I think a lot of people have said, Oh, more receivers are going in the first round. We want more, right? I, I think Jahan Dotson from Penn State could. Uh, I mean, you know, I think a team like the Chiefs is a good fit for him late in the first round. He's a speed yeah. guy, right? He, yeah, he's a speed guy. But I think when you watch him, he's, he does a lot more than that. Like his body control is really okay. good. He goes up for passes. I think because he's 178 pounds, people are like, oh, this is, you know, this is someone just runs past you. Uh, he plays bigger than that. I think he's tough. I think he could be, honestly, I think he could be one of the better values because I think in the fantasy okay. community, people are going to see that size and say, nope, he's a, he's a five, you know, he's a senior, not an early declare. He's small. I'm out. Right. Um, but, you know, that can end up being, he could be like Kadarius Tony was a guy that goes in the second round of rookie drafts and boom, you know, you have a player that looks like he has a lot of potential because he has that athleticism. And I think the talk of the next tier potentially going in the first is a little bit overblown uh, personally. You know, I, I really like Christian Watson from North Dakota state. He's my number six receiver. Um, I had an article with draft countdown early January where I thought his career trajectory, I think it's going to be like Cooper cup. I think it's going to be, you know, Wow. Takes a, takes a little, I know it takes a little bit to get going. Like you got to go a little spicy to get people to read it. Right. I love but, it. Yeah. I love yeah. It. That's hot. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> I think he's that kind of player, North Dakota state, a rushing offense. They didn't throw that much, even when Trey Lance was there, right? I and mean, he was running all over the place. Um, so Watson never had a thousand yard season, but 6'4, 208, 4'3 speed. I thought I was like, oh, he can't run routes, right? That's gonna be the problem. And then at the senior bowl, I, I didn't see a rep where he wasn't open. 
you know, running the route tree. I was like, oh my goodness, you know, this guy is a late bloomer that could be really good. So I think, you know, it'll take him a year. And then I think he'll just take off and be the number one receiver for a team. I, but I still think the NFL is going to be taking an FCS receiver that without production is very scary to do in the first round. You know, I think he goes in the second. Um, that George Pickens from Georgia has the off-field concerns. You know, Sky Moore from Western Michigan, probably the next tier in that second round. I, I think I could, like I said, I could talk for an hour just going down the list because I think there are legitimately, you know, 14, 15 guys that could make an early mm-hmm. impact in the NFL. So you said four definitely in the first round. In the first round, gun to your head, how many? Uh, how many do you expect to go if you were guessing in the first round? I'm going to go six. I think I think six end up going. I think Burks, maybe Jerry Jones with the Arkansas ties can't help himself, you know, and takes Traylon Burks. And um, you know, I think like I said, I think John Dotson sneaks in there. I think those six probably. So you mentioned, you know, Dotson possibly to the Chiefs. What are some of the other landing spots that you're thinking for some of these top guys? Like your maybe first tier, second tier, just you know, ones that stand out where you would like to see them, where you think they'll go. I it, it's tough. I I think we know the Jets want a receiver, um, and you know, I, I'm gonna. I don't think a Debo Samuel trade's coming. So if that's the case, I think ten is a nice spot if they take their pass rusher at four that I think 10 could be the start of the receiver run. Uh, there's differing opinions of who they would want there. Uh, like I said, Garrett Wilson's my number one receiver. I don't think they'll pick him. Um, right now I have them taking Jamison Williams, the receiver from Alabama, had the ACL tear, but probably people would have said he'd be number 10 if that wasn't the case. Um, Drake London has the size that's different from Corey Davis and Elijah Moore, right? So that can make sense. But I, I think the Jets, um, Washington, the, the commanders at 11 look to be, if they're not, if they don't go in the secondary, I think they're going to take a receiver. Um, you know, Ron Rivera went to the Ohio State Pro Day, only his fourth Pro Day in his entire coaching career that he attended. Uh, so wow. w- one of them was Cam Newton. So, you know, there, there's the, I think they're going to take an Ohio State player. <laughs> There's two receivers here. You know, Garrett, if Garrett Wilson's there, I think they take him. If not, I think they take Chris Olave um, if they don't go in the secondary. That past that, I think it's tough. Like, I think the Eagles could uh, take a third one in 33 straight years, take another receiver. Um, they certainly need that, and there's been some some rumors there. Um, I actually think maybe one of them – I actually don't think the Packers will take one. That, that's kind of the big thing, I guess. I don't think they're taking a receiver in the first round. Yeah. You know, they have the two picks. I think they're going to look in the second. They've had a ton of success. Jordy Nelson, Randall Cobb, Devontae Adams in the second round. Uh, I, I think it's we're gonna, it's going to be like an offensive lineman, defensive lineman, and everyone's going to be like, what, what what's going on, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, too, uh, just kind of building off that point about the Packers, like they, they're the ones that have that, what, size, speed thresholds, like don't they for a lot of the receivers that they draft? So I mean, which of those guys do you think kind of fit that mold that might be available to them at that point? I'm struggling to think of past some of the guys that we know are going to go earlier in the first round. Is there anybody that you think could even fit what they would typically like to draft? I mean, I've, I've heard folks talk about Chris Olave possibly going there. Even though, in my opinion, I think it'd be better for Olave to go to a organization that has an established wide receiver one already to work alongside, a, like a Philly. established. Huh. Yeah, Philly, Philly, I think huh. would work. Washington, I think would also work for a guy like Olave. But I mean, can you think of anybody else that might fit what the Packers are really looking for, and that also that might be available to them? I, I think that's what makes it difficult because they, they do like those high rad scores, high athletic 
yeah. players. Um, so that's why I, I think a lot of people are saying, okay, Christian Watson and George Pickens both fit that what they would take. Yeah. So are they going to reach on one of those players? Uh, I, from, from what I'm hearing, I think those guys are closer to the third round than closer to the first round. So I think they could get one in round two. But I think that's more likely to happen. They get one of those players. And I think they like Sky more as a slot player. He doesn't quite have the size mm-hmm. that we typically see, um, but would be, you know, basically what they drafted Amari Rogers to be, except, you know, 20 times more athletic uh, right. to play that slot role. So I, I would say, you know, those three, but, I don't think, I don't think any of them go in the first round, and so that that's kind of where where I'm landing there. That makes sense. Uh, so I wanted to talk really quickly about I guess sleepers and busts. I know like sleepers is a term that at this point with social media being such a big thing that there's there are no sleepers at this point. But I did want to at least ask you about a couple of guys that I'm having some trouble evaluating, and one of them is Justin Ross. And I was I remember hearing buzz about Ross like almost like like two to three years ago, like when he first came out, because didn't he have what a thousand yard season, what his first year at Clemson, but he got hurt in 2020 I mean, with the pandemic and whatnot as well. He didn't really have a ton of production over his over his final two seasons. So I'm hearing a lot of buzz about him at this point. But with the lack of production, I mean, not entirely his fault. I mean, how have you gone about evaluating him and where would you kind of place him from a, from a value perspective? Are you expecting him to go at some point in day two or can you see him sliding kind of a bit farther just because of the medical concerns and teams not really having a ton to go off of in terms of wondering where he's at from a development standpoint? I'll be pretty surprised if he goes day two, to be honest with you. I mean, like I, I, you couldn't have found a bigger Justin Ross stand than me. I drafted him when he was a senior in high school. Like I had, I have him in Debbie oh, leagues, yeah. you know, like I really liked him. And then, yeah, he had, you know, he had that thousand yard season, 2018. He had a very good season, 2019, and then ha- had a spinal condition, essentially that the, mm-hmm. the worry was, can he play football again? And then, like you said, 2020 didn't play, and then 2021, it was injury after injury, broken foot, stinger, like he was in and out. And so, you know, you have the, you, know, you have the big medical red flag, but I'll tell you, watching him in 2021, he was not the same player. I mean, this mm-hmm. guy was not as fast, not as athletic. And so, yeah, that, that's a big question. It, is he, is that a one-year thing or is, is it, is it going to be more than that? I think I'll be surprised if he goes day two. I, I think he's probably looking more. I fifth rounder fifth round yeah fifth to sixth round and it could be one of those guys that we're waiting for round seven and he just doesn't get drafted right medical red flags are there and that, that which sucks right because if you look at that that body type i mean guys that especially when he was in his quote-unquote prime throughout college what six four two oh five i mean i've seen aj green comparisons just from the body type just because like we don't really see guys that are that tall being able to move the way that he was able to like his first year at clemson so it's like i'm, I'm hoping to see him go to a team that at least can believe that he can get back to that form i've seen uh, i think there was a mock i forget where at uh, had him going to the jaguars like i think somewhere in like the fifth or sixth round which kind of makes sense at this point looking at their their needs right now they could use like a big body receiver with a Chark gone to Detroit, Marvin Jones, who also plays on the outside. I mean, he's, you know, getting long in the tooth as well. So I get the need for that. But again, it's just who's going to be that team that kind of wants to punch that ticket and say that, yeah, we're going to take a chance on a guy like him at this point. I, I just don't know. 
Yeah, I, I, you know, I, but I think there, I think there'll be a team, right? Like someone has to take that shot, like you said. To you know, you have a good medical staff, you feel good, and you watch that freshman film. I mean, he was the best freshman receiver in college football. He should have been the best receiver in this class. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I hope he gets back there. I hope he ends up an absolute steal uh, when all said and done. Yeah, another guy that I wanted to ask you about, and this is again like where I have trouble kind of trying to like sift through like the traits of the play. And th this is Calvin Austin. I mean, so we're going from a big, tall receiver uh, uh, in Justin Ross to a smaller guy, like more, I, like I hate to use the worm, the, use the term gadgety, but I'm just trying to find a way to fit and like see where Calvin Austin is going to fit like in the league. I've seen uh, comps thrown out of like Isaiah McKenzie somewhere in that range. That's because what he's like five, seven, five, eight, and like a buck 70, buck 80, like somewhere in that range. So I mean, how are you going about like trying to fit a guy that, I mean, productive in college, but can you see some of the traits that he had there in college also translating to the NFL? Or does he really need the right scheme in order for him to be at least a significant producer for fantasy purposes? I think he's definitely going to need the right scheme. He's he's going to be one of those players that fantasy wise, I'm I'm much lower on than real life wise. Uh, you know, one of those guys that you're like, okay, you, you you're going to need to find ways to get the ball in his hands creatively, because you know he was highly productive at that size. He has the speed. He's a four three speed player, but you know even more so than Tutu Atwell, the like forbidden name in fantasy circles from last year. <laughs> yeah. Um. You know. Well, Tutu Atwell at least could take a little bit of push. You know, he, he could get a little physical. Like Calvin Austin doesn't do that. He was mm -hmm. kind of schemed open to not uh, to avoid contact. And when he does face contact, the, you know, when he played against better teams, um, he struggled. He struggled to get open, and they didn't throw the ball to him as much. You know, he's he's a top top end returner, maybe the best you know return guy in this class, punt returner, um, with that kind of potential. So yeah, I. I if he goes day two, then I think my interest renews itself. I'm kind of thinking he goes round four um, I, because I think there's a lot more negative traits than, say, a 2-2 Atwell was as much as we in the fantasy community don't want to believe that per se. No, and I think that makes sense because if you look at uh, Calvin Austin's efficiency metrics, I think he was top 20 in terms of yard per, yards per route run like that in his final season in college. And so I do think that if he does fall into the right scheme, he can be that guy. My – my my fear is that he winds up being like the next like Andy Isabella, where it's just like a team just kind of, you know, pigeonholes him into a spot. He doesn't work out and it just kinds of, you know, just kind of like phases out of that offense and we just never hear from him again. But he's like, got better you know, hands, though, right? Like, I, yeah, like, definitely yeah. has. I think Isab like Isabella, like coming out, we were like, yeah, he can run downfield. But like the, the but the <laughs> landing spot for Isabella was just like, oh, well, if Cliff Kingsbury is going to take him, he's going to yeah. be paired with Kyler Murray. Then all right, it's game on. Like we have to value him at this point. So that that's my only concern. But like you mentioned, Shane, I mean, the punt return specialist portion to his game, I think, also gives him another out as like possibly for remaining on a team and then being able to at least kind of work his way up. Cause I think that's almost the same way, the, the same way that Isaiah McKenzie kind of made his bones before he became a larger part of the bills offense. So I can see that being a path for him for sure. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. Um, I, I think it's possible. He, you know, he reminds me kind of, of uh, Ray Ray McLeod a bit oh, yeah. who had success last year, a little bit, uh, you know, when Juju Smith-Schuster was hurt with the Steelers. Uh, I, I think Calvin Austin could be that kind of player. Like, like you say, you get him on the field. I think, you get the ball in his hands, he's got to do some decent things with it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I'm, per I'm perking up as the person who writes the return specialist ar uh, article in <laughs> July. <laughs>
All right, uh, one one last guy I wanted to ask you about, and this is where I think this is where taking the metrics that we take from the combine or that we hear from the combine and not overreacting to them. But how should we be valuing David Bell? Because I know a lot of folks after they saw what the four six five forty, everybody's like, "Oh, he's too slow. We d- we don't want to mess with him anymore. We need speed, guys. We need four three four four or four four four. What's going on?" Uh, we need the guys that can run that fast. But if we don't have that with David Bell, what can he give us or what is his trump card in order to overcome that? I mean, does he have something that we should be looking at instead of the, I guess, quote unquote, red flag that is his 40 time? I I think he does have some of that, right? I mean, he's highly productive. I, I think if he goes day two, then, which I think he will, I think he'll go round three, then I think you feel better. Like if a team's willing to invest the top 100 pick in you, despite the the negative, you know, workouts and how bad that was, I mean, I mean that means you have some special football talents. I mm-hmm. think sometimes we view that as a bad thing. But like if it caused them the fall to the sixth, yeah, I'm out. You know, but right. if he's still a third round pick, like that's what happened to Keenan Allen, right? He fell because he, he wasn't very fast. Now, do I think David Bell's the route runner that Keenan Allen was? I don't. I don't think Bell gets that separation in college that Keenan Bell did. And that's, you know, that's kind of the forbidden, like you don't get separation. It's going to be tough to win in the NFL. Right. But I'll say what David Bell does well is he he can high point a football and he's so, so good at tracking the football. Like he has one of the best, and this is kind of a weird scouting thing but he is one of the best receivers in this class at kind of turning late and catching the football like he Mm. doesn't need to see the football very long and it's kind of a strange thing but you know he doesn't need to see it very long and so often if the corner is looking at him the corner doesn't react in time because he he doesn't he still makes the catch i think Mm -hmm. so i think there are skills in his game i think he has a high football iq i think he understands what defenses run and he understands how to win against the guys he's playing against that's important to me. So if if his bad is four six five and bad explosion and agility drills, if that causes him to fall in rookie drafts, I think I'm going to be one of those guys that's in. Uh, if he goes to a good spot and goes to a spot that I think he can, you know, play early, um, and they draft him in the top 100. He kind of fits the thresholds for the Packers, like for a later round pick, doesn't he? I mean, just with the size alone. Yeah, with I mean, with the size, and we saw them take a, a, a negative rest player in, in Amari Rodgers last year. So I don't think they're opposed to having a highly productive player that fits a role. Um, that would, I mean, that'd be a slam dunk spot. And I think uh, I think it would push his value up maybe more mm-hmm. than I would want it to. But, you know, I think that would be really good for him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, speaking of the Packers, well, we might as well just stay on the same line here. Um, What are your thoughts on Alec Pierce from Cincinnati? I know that... He's been comp to Jordy, whether or not it's, you know, whatever. But I just am curious what uh, you feel, A, what, what is your take on him in general? And if you feel like he could be a Packer fit as well. I, I, th- I think he really could. Uh, I'm intrigued to see where he goes. I think he's going to go in the top 100 uh, pretty squarely. Um, you know, just that that size and speed is intriguing but i think you also toss in like he was the primary target at cincinnati at a very productive offense and it wasn't just you know run down the field in a straight line alec and like go get it right i mean desmond ritter who is in this class does not have the best deep ball arm in the draft and so a lot of it was you know short intermediate routes you know slants off the line and letting alec pierce get the ball in his hands and after the catch i think he's very good he he's 
not quite on the end of Isabella uh, scale, but he has some of those stone hands and uh, can <laughs> can make make the easy drops there with Alec Pierce. So I think there's some technique issues um, where you know he wastes a lot of movement. He doesn't because he has that athleticism often doesn't need to do that. And so we saw him disappear in some bigger games. But I mean, yeah, I, th- I think he would fit if the Packers took him I, even around two. I, I wouldn't be overly surprised at that. I think there are going to be teams that have him in the top 10 receivers on their board pretty pretty squarely. This is a little off from there, but we were talking landing spots. We focused a lot on Green Bay. There's another team that uh, people are just dying to find out which wide receiver they bring in. Uh, the Chiefs have brought in Juju Smith-Schuster, Marcus Valdez-Scantling. Uh, we have McCole Hardman, the holdover there. Obviously, though, it looks like there's a spot for one of these guys to step in and make an immediate contribution in a big-time offense. Do you have a favorite fit or a, a hope or a spot that you're watching for Kansas City at the wide receiver position in the draft? I think they're in a kind of a tough place because either you take one, you know, late round one, um, where honestly, I think the top four or five are going to be gone. So then I think it is Jahan Dotson from Penn State that we talked about before, or you're looking at pick 50, the middle of the second round. And, you know, I, 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 I struggle because I think the Chiefs can go two ways, right? We, you know, we, can see them can are they going to go against kind of their recent typing and maybe take someone a little bigger a little more alpha receiver-esque like we've been talking about for the Packers you know or do they kind of stick to we'll take the smaller speed quick you know get open quickly guy that that maybe fits that offense a little bit better and so that's why I like you know Sky Moore uh, someone like that, you know, I'll, I'll say kind of a sneaky pick for them might be John Mechie, the third out of Alabama. Mm, yep. um, you know, he's a player towards ACL um, in, in the playoff. So might be one of those players that does goes on the pup list and maybe has a sluggish, you know, rookie year. Um, I, I think he's just such a smooth kind of athlete um, who can get in and out of his breaks pretty quickly, showed some promise this season, even though he wasn't the number one guy. I don't think the Chiefs necessarily want a number one, right? They want, they're fine with a bunch of number two receivers that can do what, what they can in the offense. I think that's what John Mechie is. So if there's a player that could go at 50, I think he would be an intriguing fit that we haven't talked about yet. So there's uh, 300 more players I want to ask you about, Shane, before we go. Uh, I, I, I do, I do <laughs> want to mention <laughs> just 300. There's, um, uh, I want to ask you two more specific players. Um, we talked about Garrett Wilson being your number one. We talked about him not being Jamar Chase. Uh, I'm just wondering, why is he your number one? What do you like about him? Where's your favorite spot for him? So I, I love how it's kind of two things with him. I love how he gets off the line. I mean, he has this explosive first step. It's almost Deontay Johnson-esque where he can just get open really, really quickly without much contact. And you can throw those quick passes to him, which Ohio State didn't do that much, but I, I think they really could have. There are a number of of plays when I was watching him when he just right off the lines wide open. I'm like, just throw him, throw him the ball. Not that Ohio State <laughs> didn't need to. Like, you didn't have to. They did just fine not doing that. But, like, just throw him the ball. He's wide open. You know, so I love that. And then when he is down the field or when he is more contested, I mean, his body control is exceptional. He's made some fantastic sideline catches. He knows where his feet are. He knows where he needs to be to, to adjust his body to make the catch. So you usually don't have a player that's 183 pounds that can make contested catches like he can. And that's what kind of puts him in that for me is I think he can do 
some of those things that a top tier receiver can do despite not having the size that teams might want. Um, you know, in a perfect world, like I would love maybe to get him on the Saints. You know, I think that would be great. I don't think it's going to happen, but, but I, you know, I, I would love that fit where they've had, you know, kind of slant King Michael Thomas for how long and have been able to use a player like that, but also need that kind of fast, deeper threat. I think Wilson could provide that. You know, I think a team like Washington, the commanders makes a lot of sense, you know, put him with Terry McLaurin, who has a little bit more of that deeper speed and Wilson get off the line, do with some of the short work. And I think Carson Wentz, he'd, he'd be a really good fit there. So that, that's kind of where I'm hoping that seems more realistic. Uh, and then I've got two favorite receivers in this draft. They're not my number one, number two receivers. They're just my favorite guys to watch. And they're day two guys who I'm just eager to see. And you mentioned Sky Moore is one of them. Uh, I always like the plucky undersized guy with the chip on his shoulder. Just I've always liked that. The other one is Wandale Robinson, the Kentucky kid. Uh, nice lineage in Kentucky. Not, not a, not a lot of players come out of there, but Stevie Johnson. I loved, I loved Randall Cobb. Those guys coming up. Wondale Robinson seems like that versatile type of player. What do you think of Robinson? Uh, and could, am I right to be hopeful that I see him in, on day two? I, I mean, better than staying in Nebraska, better than that pipeline. So I'm glad he <laughs> transferred. Uh, like I, I love Wondell Robinson. My uh, prospect comp for him was T.Y. Hilton. I think he reminds me a lot of T.Y. Hilton nice. coming out of college, right? You know, small, but plays a lot bigger, gets physical, gets down the field, like is running uh, wide receiver one, starting wide receiver routes at 5'8", 178 pounds. So that's why I like him, because I think you can still use him in a more traditional role in the right offense. Um you know, I, I also think, you know, he can do a lot of things. He, he came into college as a running back. He played running back at Nebraska. Uh, so there's a lot of versatility. We talk about who's who's the next Devo Samuel, who's the next Cordero Patterson, right? Like I think Wanda Robinson, he's, he's played those positions. He knows how to do that. I think there's a lot of versatile ways you can use him. Day two, I think, is a stretch. I, like, mm. I, I, I'm hoping. I, I hope he goes round three. I think there's a chance. I don't think it's zero percent. I, I think it's more than 10 percent. But um, I think just due to the depth of this receiver class, he's one of those guys that's going to get pushed down into round four or five. And, and maybe that provides a value. You know, we, we kind of put this like arbitrary line because round three goes to round four. And, you know, th th there's different days now. But, you know, if he goes early round four, is it that much different? I, you know, I think with the depth of this class as a whole, you know, the defensive side is, is stellar. You know, some of these receivers that go round four, round five might provide fantasy value if people discount them to a draft capital. I think Wanda Robinson's gonna be one of those guys. Nice. I so I'm basically just taking you to say that I'm I'm right to love him. He's perfect <laughs> in every way. And all teams are dumb to not take him on day two. That's that's what I Yes, heard. that's exactly what I'm getting yeah. out of this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, no, because I was gonna ask about him too, because he's almost I think he's maybe what Eight, eight to 10 pounds heavier than Calvin Austin. So our team's going to essentially fall into the same trap. Could like we were having the same conversation about Austin earlier. Like, are you going to see the small, you know, shifty guy and try and pigeonhole him into this specific role? And then we just wind up not really getting or seeing him like used in the optimal way. And that's my only concern for guys that kind of are, fall into that archetype of receiver. But hopefully, I mean, we get him in the right spot and like he falls to like the right team that can at least utilize him in the way that we expect him to. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it makes sense, right? These That's the fear. You get someone that just can't utilize those talents. I I, I think Wanda Robinson's more well-rounded than Calvin Austin is in terms of what he can provide as a receiver, provide down the field, provide on the outside. But, you know, you could get a team that says, no, we, we want you to just have three touches a game. Like, that's what we're drafting yeah. for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, you know, we'll, we'll just never see it. So. Like, here, go take your jet sweep. Come on back to the bench. <laughs> yeah. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> Good job, Wandale. Thanks. Thanks, man. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to quickly ask you before we go, uh, just to round this out. So uh, the draft ends on Saturday, 2023 prep for you. Does it start Sunday? Uh, yeah. I, 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 I'll, really? I have a three-round ra- <laughs> three oh, mock, uh, 2023 three-round mock up on Sunday. That's amazing. By, by the end of May, I'll have a seven-round mock. So <laughs> oh, it's, it's coming. God. Don't worry. Uh, I got four quarterbacks going in the first round. So get get ready. So I, I I want Washington to to do what you said, take Wilson, right? And then next year they could just take the Ohio State quarterback. So they'll be yeah. good to go. Two wins this year. That's all you need. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's it. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. Uh Christian, anyone we missed? Covered all my guys. I think I've got everybody that I wanted to discuss. So I mean, thanks again, Shane, for your time. I mean, you know, for, you know, on my end, there's not enough George Pickens talk, but that's okay. <laughs> I can I can live with it. <laughs> Shane, anyone you wanted to bring up that we uh, didn't get to today? I, I know you your list is very expansive. Look, I only watched 158 receivers, so <laughs> wait, 159. I had I, I added one last week. 159. So you know, if you want me to talk about these guys from Japan, I can talk about them. There's two in this <laughs> oh draft. Oh my gosh. Um, uh, you know, I have a guy from um, McPherson College. Yeah, you know, so. You know, if, if you want to really get down and dirty, we can do it. We can do another few hours. Let's say, can we can we get like you know five minutes on a, what a Eric Izukanma? I mean, like, Ooh, yeah, you know, what, get get some thoughts on him real quick. Like, I, I think I think he's underrated. I I, I think he's going to get be criminally underdrafted. I mean, six two two oh nine, really good footwork. I mean, Izukanma, like Texas Tech is just not a school where you're going to get some of the crisp like runs a full route tree. But Izukanma has flashed that ability to me. I mm-hmm. think if you can coach him up to, to expand on what he has, yeah. I think he has some starting potential. I, you know, I think him and probably Kyle Phillips from UCLA are probably the two like day three receivers that we could say in five years, th- these guys are starters in the NFL. I, they're, they're two of my sleepers there. Yeah, throw it. him like throw Izukanba in like a big slot position for first couple of seasons and then see if he can develop from there and then put him, put him the outside like afterwards. I think that could work for him. I love it. I love it. I love that we got Ezekanma discussion on this podcast. This is fantastic. Uh, Shane, thank you so much for joining us. Listeners should definitely read Shane's market draft countdown. Check out the Debbie Marketplace podcast. Follow Shane on Twitter. Do yourself a favor at Shane P. Hallam. Uh, any final thoughts or plugs before we go, Shane? No, I will be live streaming uh, during the draft all three days, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So if you want instant analysis, every pick, every position, every player, myself, and my managing partner, Brian Bassarge, uh, over at youtube.com slash the draft countdown. You can check us out and subscribe there. Fantastic. Thank you, Chris and Jen. Always a pleasure. Uh, listeners, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at the Monday Mommy, at Chris Allen FFWX, and at Two Guys Brandon. Thanks so much for checking us out. Have a good day. <laughs>